KFNX News Talk Radio 1100, it's Chatterbox, where you'll find the latest news, interviews, and updates about the gaming world. The views and opinions expressed are those of the host, the guests, and callers only, and not necessarily those of KFNX News Talk Radio 1100. And now, here's your host for Chatterbox. Welcome to another fantastic episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. I'm Alon. And I am the reclining aura. The cell phone aura. Is that right? Yes. Man. My voice has transformed magically over the period of a week to a much more digital form. Well, I'm going to tell you not to scream into that mic because it sounds kind of horrible. Um, Is it screaming? A little bit. You know, yeah. there's, there's that whole popping of a thing, you know, that happens in radio. I've got a little boom on here. I've got a mini boom. Hold on. Let me adjust my mini boom. Okay, good. Well, we're going to get through this, and I'll apologize in advance to our, our listenership for the, uh, the quality. This? This, is a new, this is a new mini boom position. Yeah. You see, the alternative was for me to actually take Ara in my own car to the studio, and, um, you know, that wasn't going to fly for whatever I reason. I was glad that you didn't think to strap me on the roof. <laughs> Well, my roof is arched, and you said you wanted a flat. A That's flat true. Surface, so I wasn't going to do that to you. Um, However, you realize that, of course, we are breaking a new world record here. What's that? So now we will be the first video game radio show to broadcast from a completely horizontal position. I don't know that that's a record, sir. It is now. Has no one else done that before? Well... What I can tell you is uh, that I guess Ara has hurt himself. Do, do you want to describe your condition shortly or quickly, I should say? Yeah, well, I got a little whole story that I got planned. So I don't know how much you want me to get into right now. Can we cap it at 60 seconds or so? Yeah, we can, can do that. All right, let's Maybe. do it. Well, yeah, it was just one of those things, you know, I was... Um, Wow, I didn't even know if it was one of those things. I didn't even know what happened, honestly. It was just one day I woke up, and everything was fine, and over the period of three hours, I all of a sudden discovered that I had to sit down and I couldn't get up. That that really sounds like a commercial in the making. So, I lay down. Yes, it was just like that, right? But it was worse, because think of that commercial... And you know how that old lady falls down and she can't get back up? Now imagine that there's a TV in the room there, and she's not in her kitchen. She's in the living room. And there's this crazy woman on the TV, and she's talking all kinds of jive. And it's Wendy Williams, and I've got my channel, and it's stuck on BET. And I... Can't get to the remote. The remote's on the other side of the couch, and I can't move. That that is a level of hell that I hadn't imagined. It was. It was like. It was like so funny to me and so horrific simultaneously. On. Well, it was like I was laughing at the sadness of my own demise of having to listen to Wendy Williams without being able to shut her up. All right. Well, right now, I need to ask you to be careful when you talk, because I think you just about blew up the ears of all of our listeners. Um, 
move the boom again. Yeah. I'm surprised. This is like I'm I'm almost now I'm turning the boom away from my face. That's see that's good right there. Just don't is don't this, shout. Is this we, good? Norm can't regulate you know your voice because you're you're yeah. on the phone. So I know I'm just that's too much power. That's right. what happened to my back. So. Well, we are a video game show, so I'm going to remind everyone that we have a website, uh, chatterboxgameshow.com. Uh, if you want to go there, you can you can find ways to email Ara and myself so that uh, you can send us things that you want to talk want us to talk about. Uh, of course, there's lots of other stuff we'll talk about anyway. Um, also, if you want to listen live, if you're not already, uh, you can do that from the website. There's a button that'll take you somewhere else, the KFNX website, where you can actually listen live. So feel free to do that. Uh, you know, if you're up at the time to do that. I'm now. Um, do I sound really good right now? As long as you keep it at, at the right level. Yeah. Oh, I might get excited, though. I want to put it far away enough so when I get excited again, bad things don't happen. All right. Fantastic. So we've there's lots of different things um, to talk about. The, the season of, of gaming news and interest is starting to pick up because games are, are being released. People are have all sorts of commentary um, on... On different aspects. Right before we started the show, you told me to look at um, the the current Deus Ex controversy, which apparently hasn't hasn't caught too much attention, which I'm happy about. Well, uh, it's it's basically it's one article and it's just been reblogged. But I'm I'm kind of a I'm a little ambivalent about mentioning this, although we think, I think we should anyway, because um I don't want to give this guy like too much attention for want of the Barbara Streisand effect. Because I really think he's trolling really badly. Like I can't believe he's actually serious about this. See, I don't. I'm not on the impression that he's he's trolling particularly. I think he's just made a really. He's just. I don't. I want to just say he's dumb. I want to do the, the courtyard. Just he's a, he's a stinky head, right? Like he he's just wrong. Like he's not thinking it through, or he's he's hyper hyper sensitive about it. Yeah. Um, so, so why don't we tell the listeners what he's been saying? That's what I was going to get at. So um, you may have, have heard about this. It didn't just happen yesterday, but um, somebody who apparently has access to write articles for um, Time.com, like Time Magazine stuff, yeah. um, on Techland, wrote this thing about Deus Ex and uh, started off by saying it's a great great game. But I think we should mention his name. Do, do you want to? I don't care. I don't even have yeah. it. Unfortunately, oh. is it? He's named the unfortunate... Uh, Narcisse? Uh, Narcisse. Yeah, Evan Narcisse. Alright, I've never heard of the guy, but for all I know, he's popular. Whatever. Um, or Narcissus. So he he writes this article about Deus Ex. There's a, a certain character at some point in the game. I haven't played the game. I don't know much about it. Um, Letitia! But yeah. So Letitia, black character, playing a black character. Uh, Not like, just black! Very noticeably black with the, the voice that they used. But... Like, Jive in black. Not so much. Just an accent. Jive. Just an accent. Jive? No, like not. I, did, I didn't sense any jive. I understood everything she said. Um, I think she. I think I wanted to be nice and afford them a little bit of jive. Quite honestly, there was there was a little bit of ebonics, a little bit, but most yeah. of it was just accent, um, which yeah. does not qualify as a new language. Or <laughs> you were right. It wasn't true ebonics because I've heard that. And I really can't, I think that they're speaking Portuguese, or I can't, I don't think it's English at all. You and I are far like, too white. It's it's true and, and yeah, shameful because we live in America. But It's incredible. Like, I thought it was Russian the first time. <laughs> uh, I actually have a story. There was a time when Ebonics was becoming like, 
I don't know, just like officially noticed as a real language or, or dialect. And so they started teaching it, actually having uh, courses for it in college. Probably more of a culture study than an education of the of the language, but I don't I don't know because I never took it. I would like it. to learn this language because but I don't understand any of it. I just remember like hearing about how colleges were were picking this up as a course, and the very next year, like I saw someone's Ebonics workbook in the lunchroom at at my school. Um, you know, at, at IU, um, where I was going at the time. So I thought that was funny. Anyway, so this Letitia character, super black, right? No doubt about it. But he makes this big stink about it. Like, like you know, yeah, she's not even recognizably black. Like, it's more like when people made fun of black people in the 60s and 70s with blackface and stuff. And, like, I'll, I'll give him, um, I'll, I will agree that it was poorly done. Like, yeah, but it, it, was, it was closer to, like, wheezy black than, like, blackface. What? Ouija black? What? Wheezy. Oh. Like on the Jefferson. Yeah, like it it may not it may be an exaggeration or it may be not not real. To be honest, there's, you know, a lot more culture in the US that I don't know about, so I don't know if it represents some sort of real aspect or not. Um it doesn't sound like people I've heard before. She does sound definitely exaggerated, but she also does fall in line with um, you know, what we've seen in media in the past, right? So me yeah. As a white guy who watches mostly white media, right, um, with black characters thrown in every once in a while, she matches uh, it's an exaggeration, but it, not too far from the sorts of things we've seen before. And this is a form of media. Like, if you think she's got a problem, then why, you know, why is it okay for the main character, whatever his name is, the white guy, to have a white guy's voice? All right. Well, I, I have a quote that's exceptionally germane right now. Uh, this is straight from his article, and this is really get, gets at the heart of the insanity of what he's writing. He says, Letitia embodies a strain of racist stereotype that renders black people as less than human as the worst that society has to offer. And what I have to say in response to that is, what about the clip or the presentation of that character was less than human? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. She, she wasn't like, oh, I can't wait until I go back into my house, which is a straw hut, and I eat, you know, garbage all day long. I mean, no. I mean, she just she's just talking like it's some kind of crime drama, and she's giving him advice that she's a poor person on the street, and that's what it is, and that's the representation, and she's going getting a little jivey, and that's it. Yeah, well, you know, watching that, I was thinking back to all the shows that you watch with, you know, thugs who are usually uh, not white, right? And they speak in whatever way that, you know, they've been directed to speak. And she didn't do particularly good voice acting, but that's really following the theme right. of all video games for the last 20 years, with rare exception. And we don't even have to go back to the 70s. You can go watch Hardcore Pawn, and there are characters in that show that are supposedly, ostensibly, real people who are trying to pawn their stuff so they can live from day to day. And... If this is racist, then that thing is a freaking running, continuous show of racism every week. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes me think, what about people who speak real abonics in the U.S. and are actual people? And I couldn't understand them at all. So I think right. this guy is, is probably just trying to make himself feel good, deciding that he's found something racist in, you know, a, a popular current trend that is deus ex. And I think he's going overboard with it. So, uh, But that's more political than gaming. You know, uh, it doesn't really matter to me, and I'm sort of glad that this hasn't caught on more 
than it than it did originally. I'm glad it sort of limited itself to just reblogging because well, uh, I guess it demonstrates if it catches on more because it's not a real story. It's kind of like a straw man story. Yeah, well, the fact that we haven't seen it even more than this sort of demonstrates that people uh, disagree because they're not. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe if they disagreed, they would blog more about it. I don't know that they just don't care that much about it. Is is probably more to the truth. This is one of those recurring video game stories, though. It's like we talk about something like this like once a year. It seems. Probably more often than that. But, you know, um, they keep pu- putting uh, black people in games and representing them, and then someone is going to complain about it. So, I don't know. People just need to stop complaining because there are all sorts of people in the world, right? and they and speak all in all sorts of ways. But, like, he, did, he didn't complain that the main character didn't have a 10-year-old girl's voice, right? He's a white guy. He has a white voice. They wanted a character. Like, they could have homogenized every character in the game, right? They could have made them all white cyborgs like the main character. And yeah, you're, you're preaching to the choir, brother. Yeah. It's really an untenable position. If, if they want to have a black person in the game, they're going to put them somewhere in the game. And if they want it to be the type of, you know, someone who's poverty stricken or whatever, living in the streets, then they're going to do that. And Someone will complain, and you don't have the right to not be offended. Yeah, you love that, that line. All right, well, we will be back right after the break to talk about more stuff. Stay tuned. Arizona's News Talk Leader, KFNX, AM 1100. I guess I'll do all the openers today. I wasn't yeah, sure. That's uh, a really good idea. I wasn't sure what was going on. We didn't discuss this. Well, uh, now we have. <laughs> so uh, once again, Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Back from the break, uh, we just talked about um, black people in games and who cares. That's pretty much what it comes down to: uh, making a big stink over nothing. Um, moving on to some other things. Uh, all right, did you have anything else on the list? It's, it's hard for me to tell since you're not actually in studio. You know how to make this flow. Well, Alan, you, you know that this week was the first time in 10 years that I pre-ordered the game. You had mentioned something about that, but I don't have the details. Would you like to hear the details? Yes, sir. I would be happy to oblige. I just saw True Grit, so I'm talking real 50s style now. All right, let's move on from that. So anyway, um, yeah. So as you know, Disgaea 4 came out today. I didn't know that until you told me earlier today. And? Should, should we remind people the backstory of you and Disgaea 3? Yeah, it's kind of like the backstory of a 50-year-old crack whore who's been living on the street for 50 years. I.e., so, you played the game a lot. It's, yeah, it's kind of like a love-hate relationship. Like, I love it, and... It sends my life into a tumbling spiral, and then I hate it and myself for a while. And then something bad happens, and then I recover, and then I'm a normal person again. That does sound like an addiction. It's, uh, it's yeah, it's pretty bad. Anyway, um, the So the fourth, one, games, fourth one's released. Three games, right? Like, pretty much each of those I've played for, let's say, about 200 hours a piece, right? And anyway, so... As you know from the beginning of the show, my back is in real bad shape. So early last week, I was basically, as I am now, 
but even worse, relegated to just horizontal positions, right? So not very conducive to go buying a game. And I knew that this game was coming out next week. I've been waiting for it for, like, you know, since the last one came out. So I go into Amazon.com, and I notice that they offer this thing. Maybe this is just old hat to you on, but this is totally new to me. So it was very, very interesting. They offered a pre-order with an option to actually receive the game on the release date. Yes. So none of this, like, you can order or they'll ship it on the 6th, which is today. No, it's actually like you get it on the 6th. They've been doing that for a while, yeah. So I was like, hmm, as much as I detest the concept of pre-order and as subversive the character I am and everything that I like to do, especially when I'm dealing with corporations, maybe this time it would actually be to my advantage to pre-order so, Truth be told, it would probably be to your advantage in many scenarios. <laughs> but I understand your resistance. I doubt, you see. I like, I like being liquid. I like having options open. I understand. But I knew that the following week, it would be a very, very uncertain likelihood that I'd be able to walk around and just go to the store and get it. So I was like, hmm, I could pre-order it. This was Thursday night. I pre-ordered it Thursday night. And they actually only charge me $0.99 cents for shipping, which is fabulous. And, and, and probably less than, point. well, definitely less than the tax you would have paid if you bought it at store here. Exactly. It's net win, because if I went to the store, I would have paid more in taxes anyway. So it was literally not only the cheapest way for me to get the game right when it came out, but also the most convenient. That, you know, the world is moving forward in so many ways, Ara, and you're finally discovering. <laughs> well, yes, it's, it's nice to discover new things. Okay, so I presume you got the game today. So I totally got it. Did you have to get someone to go to your mailbox for you? No. It was, um, I can stand up for like 15 minutes to half an hour at a time. Okay. I've actually been able to stand up for about an hour today, but then, then I felt like I was done, so I had to lay down again. Um, but anyway, um, so this is very interesting, right? I have to approach this game very gingerly because I have a lot of history with this game. And there's also a little bit of a feeling, like, this type of sequel is, like, this, I would say really similar in structure to a lot of other sequel series where if they don't really change a huge amount structurally about the game. They just basically add a few new features, and the basic process of playing the game is the same. Like, the, let's say, like, all the previous Gran Turismo games, right? Since that's really your only point of reference. That's the first one that came to mind. Okay. Um, Maybe, is there any story like, attached to this this series of games? Oh, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, well, the interesting thing is, is that, I mean, I think maybe you, you've experienced this with, like, GTA or, or Crackdown, because you like Crackdown. Um, but it's like, a game like those, or, or, or Gran Turismo, you spend so much time playing it, and then you get sick of it, right? And you're like, okay, I'm tired of this, I don't want to play this again. And then a year or two later, the next game comes out, and you're essentially doing the same exact thing, just the graphics are better. And somehow you can stomach it, right? And somehow like you actually like doing it. 
but there's something in the back of your head that's like, if you're just doing the same thing that you did two years ago. you get that feeling ever? Um, you know, you mentioned Grand Theft Auto, and I, I think that probably... The thing is, I was never very excited about Grand Theft Auto to begin with. Other people love it, right? I never got too into it. But if I had, I probably would be happy about the sequels. But uh, it definitely happens when, when sequels just rehash the same old slop over and over. And right. so it depends how much... I want to use the word innovation, but it's probably the wrong word. Just how much newness is in is in the sequel. And, you know, that's not always... It doesn't always uh, meet my requirements for being interested in the game. Right. So anyway, so far, um, remarkably, thankfully, I've actually found a way to play the game that is completely new to me. So I'm not just playing it in the same way that I've played the previous ones. I'm doing it in a way that's actually a lot more difficult for me, and that's that makes it new and interesting to me. So um, I, I don't understand. They present some sort of mode of play that can be different. Well, it's it's funny. I started doing this to myself in certain games, like this one, and also like I'm doing this to myself in Gran Turismo Five, where I'm imposing on myself like rules that I have to follow or that I want to follow that I wouldn't normally be bound to, just to make the game more interesting. Is that like? Don't die? Well, more rules, right? So, like, in this game, right now what I'm doing in the beginning of the game is I'm not buying, like, any items. I'm going to see, like, how much of the game I can plow through without buying any items. And I'm just trying to make do with items I collect. Okay. And so that makes it really, really difficult. But since I've been through this three times before, it's a new way to play that actually makes it you know, feel a little bit more interesting. But were were you not imposing these, um, you know, personal limitations? Would uh, would it be any different than the previous game? I I would say that it would feel too substantially similar for it to be worthwhile. Okay. I mean, you can still sequel, fight inside of a pizza, though. Yeah, you do all that. I mean, it's just the same, but more. You know, they finally upgraded all the graphics to high res, which is really nice. But that doesn't change the fundamental dynamic of the gameplay, you know? Yeah, and you know, so, I was just reading about um, another sequel that, I don't know if it came out or is coming out soon, whatever. Resistance 3 is sort of the big deal right now. And right. Um, supposedly that that's making a big splash for, like, just doing things slightly differently, not not just rehashing. And uh, I wish I could speak from experience. I haven't played it yet. I played through the first Resistance. I never played the second one, and I certainly haven't played the third one. Which uh, right. Well, every every sequel series kind of like has a different like level of like how much are we going to change the game with every sequel? You know, you got some that change it a lot, and you got some that like basically just add a few new features. Yeah, and, and you know, this, this is something I've said I know several times on the show before, but we always have new listeners. Um, Back in the day, and, and to me, the day equals NES, right? 8-bit times. Um, Nintendo and other games uh, like uh, Konami and, and I want to say Capcom, but I don't think that's the, tr- that's the case. Um, my examples are from Nintendo and, and Konami. Um, they would release games on the NES. They'd be incredibly popular. The sequel, number two, I mean, would be totally different. And then they realized that didn't work. We've got to go back. So it, it, it like, I... I use that as an example many times because it's kind of like um, video gaming. Like, they, they sort of learned their lessons. Like, that was the childhood of, of gaming, even though I know there was stuff before that, you know, Commodore and Atari and stuff. 
But companies sort of learned their lesson. Don't switch it up in the second one, which is like Mario, Zelda, Castlevania. Bring it back to the way it was for the third one, and then just make a bunch more like that forever. And um, that's pretty much held true until Konami made the switch to the, uh, the new style. But anyway, let's talk about this a little bit more. We're just going to go to break. We'll be right back. It's me, Mario. You're listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. Woohoo! All right, we're back. And I want to take a second to, to remind people, you know, when you listen live... You get extra content in this program. What you don't realize is that the podcast that we put, that you're probably listening to right now, we we remove all of the, the chunky, meaty commercials and CNN news updates, all that really good stuff that has nothing to do with our show. Uh, the part where we give away $10,000 every week. That too. Um, you miss out on it. And so, you know, I'll take a moment. To, to mention UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, our primary sponsor. We thank them very much. Uh, take a minute to go to that website because, you know, you wouldn't hear about it if I didn't mention it. And, uh, you know, if you want to listen live, you can get that good CNN top of the hour, bottom of the hour. I don't even know. I'm not the radio guy. Uh, that's good stuff. Listen live. Feel free. We're here every week. Um, I think we're at the bottom of the hour. Is it? Norm, Norm will know the answer to that. Half hour, half hour Norm, top or bottom of the hour? Uh, for what? And any time of day. If it's if it's 9.30, is that the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour? That's the bottom of the hour. Bottom. Okay, middle, middle is bottom, top of the hour. Is, okay, good times. I just picture a parabola, the hill. Anyway. It's just like craps. They got like 14 rhymes for every different number. Yeah. I just feel like we're at the top of our show now. It's the middle of the show, and now it's only going downhill to the end, right? We've been going up the hill, and now we're going, but apparently it's the other way around. We go down and then we pull ourselves back out. Bottom of the hour. So, so right before we went to break, we were talking about, um, or I was talking about uh, sequels and how sort of the industry had this like collective learning experience. Um, well, you know, I, I was thinking about this over the break, and I would actually, I wanted to offer a different reason for uh, why sequels now. If you assume what you're putting forward, which is sequels now are more similar than sequels in the past. I think there's a different reason along. Well, I don't. I didn't. I didn't really make that statement. What I was saying is, there were times when people went a totally different direction. So it's it's not so much like a likelihood to stay similar. It was a willingness to completely change, to do it a different, basically release a different game but with the same brand on it, so that you keep that. You know, you retain customers because of the brand, but you're producing a new game, and. Um, Okay, I don't, so, I don't see the distinction, actually. There is. I'm quite honestly having a hard time explaining it. Uh, so I don't blame well, I, blame you for not understanding, but there's... My reason, I think, works whether you need to make that distinction or not. Okay, go for it. And that is that I think that it probably has more to do with the fact that game development has just gotten so much more expensive. You know, in 1985, you could make, you know, Super Mario brothers and then you know they brought up doki doki panic and super mario brothers too um but 
the development was cheap enough that it wasn't that big a deal to make major changes to systems. And now, games are so expensive that they're they're literally planning out three games ahead for every new IP because they know that they have to amortize their development costs over three development cycles. That's how ludicrous it's getting. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Um, and it's it's unfortunate, right, that you, you can't make the money, well, it's hard to make the money back in a single game uh, for that reason, so you have to do it in chunks. But then, you know, there's still... It's not like they decide... Well, I guess they do. Oftentimes they just make a new game after the, the second or third one, even if it was a successful series, right? Then they'll just go a different route. Um, but so often they're not doing that either. Like Halo's continuing well past three iterations of the game, and um, Call of Duty is doing the same thing. They're on like the ninth version or something, and it's basically well, well, always the same thing. series are the exceptions because they're the successful ones, right? I mean, not just the successful ones. They are the literal marquee names. They're the biggest successful ones. So they can kind of do whatever they want, yeah. right? But like like Castlevania, remember what they did with the next-gen Castlevania before this last one that came out? Uh, Yes. Are you yeah. talking about Harmony Despair as the last one that came out? Uh, Yeah, there's, there's, there's the 3D Japanese one, not the latest one that came out. The ones like a couple before. Yeah, like they went weird, which is sort of like what they did with the second one. Yeah, but they said, like, they said, okay, this engine, we're making this new Castlevania game, and they basically said, this engine is going to support, like, not only multiple Castlevania games, but multiple games, too, and and, they, and it did. I, I would, I'm not even, like, familiar with the full pedigree of that engine. I never even played the new Castlevania one. Yeah, but they, as I understand, it was poorly received, so why would they make lots more games it, with it? it? It got more flack than it deserved, frankly, but it uh, they did put out at least two Castlevania games with it. And then I mentioned this once uh, a show or two ago. There was this weird, uh, like, blood, blood breaker, some kind of lots of blood spilling everywhere game that was basically running on the same engine. Oh. And that also was very uh, unknown. Yeah. But, I, I mean, even if there's development costs, and, and I understand that, I, I think I, I agree with you that they're, they're stuck having to keep it very similar these days. But, I mean, costs and and profit and all that was still a consideration back in the day when they make you know Mario and then went to the different version of Mario for the American audience, right? Same thing with Castlevania and with Zelda. They totally change it up in the second version, and so I mean, costs weren't the limitation, but there's certainly opportunity costs when they fail to sell the game. Um, now, in the case of Mario, I'm, they sold very well, so it, you know they they were successful, but they still went back to the old paradigm. Um, I don't think, I assume Castlevania 2 didn't do very well. And, um, but well, what, do you, what would you say about the Mario series in general? I mean, that's been going on like this kind of crazy path the whole time, ever since the start. Well, that's that's an example I like to use as a, a very successful um, like means of, of sequelizing a game, right? Um, they've, each game, and this isn't actually true with each game, because they've, they've done... Some iterations that, that don't really change that much and get a little bit more boring. Like um, Super Mario Galaxy 2, I still haven't played for more than a couple hours. It didn't. It was pretty much the same as Super Mario Galaxy, and that's why it didn't hold my interest. And I should, honestly, I feel a little bit bad. I want to go back and play it. I just haven't bothered, and I, honestly, I like just forget that it's even there because that's how little space it takes in my brain, even though it's supposed to be an incredible game, right? Everyone says you it was awesome. You should not feel any guilt toward Miyamoto. But anyway, people say it's incredible, right? But it's so similar to... 
the first one that it didn't really catch me. Whereas, you know, uh, in the third game, it was so much newer and, and bigger than the first one, even though it was a similar play style, the platforming style. Um, it had so much new material and, and style in the game that it was interesting. And then you get to Super Mario World, quite honestly, pretty similar to Super Mario 3. But, um, you know, obviously it was an upgrade because it was the Super Nintendo. So there was a lot of newness there. And the whole flight thing versus the raccoon um, was also... Actually, it wasn't that different. But Super that, Mario... That one, I would say, is the greatest. Super Mario World? But, but keep going. Anyway, so uh, they... And then if you want to skip Super Mario World 2, which I barely even played, it didn't get much well, attention well, at all. When the, you mean Yoshi's Island? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, that was such a weird diversion. Like, yeah, that was that was kind of weird, but still, you know, not as big a departure as. You yeah, know, the I don't think people even realize it was Super Mario World too. But right then, you skip off to the Nintendo sixty four. Obviously, it's a big change, um, and then you get on to the uh, what of the next the GameCube one. Um, they made it. You know, they said they decided they didn't like um, sort of the camera angles. This is what I believe happened, right? Some of the camera angles were tough in the Nintendo 64, uh, so we're going to fix that by giving you this floating ability with the water, um, with the jetpack, right? And so there, there's constantly, like, a very big change with con- with always new content, too. You know, the environments, there's a lot to carry over, so you'll, you'll always have, like, the desert environment and the sun that does different things and um, ice worlds and stuff. But even within that there's different power-ups, there's um, different like methods of locomotion with the character, there's different storyline that, that carries how you're going to interact with the world and the different things, um, different goals, that you're, the sub-goals you're going to have within the world. They change it enough that it, it, it keeps one focal theme, but changes so much else of the game that you're, you're familiar with it, yet there's always something new. Um, and that carries over, if you look at the, the broad scope of the series in general, as well as the individual game. You know, World 1 is different from World 2 and World 3 and 4, whatever, um, whether or not they're, they're numbered like that. Uh, they change enough so that you're interested in playing each game, even though you played the previous game. You're also interested in playing each level of each game because it's different enough. And, and I always use that as, you know, my... my pillar of awesomeness in, in terms of game design it did such it's always done such a great job of bringing something new to the table that you're not bored of it with you know like i said Super Mario galaxy 2 did get me a little bit bored and it's, it hasn't been perfect but um it's done a very good job of representing like how to build a sequel and, and make a game in general and other I games do don't do that something really interesting about just even playing disgaea 4 for the first day today it's actually as much as, as counterintuitive as it would seem, it's actually really, really nice that I am entering a new game that has a ton of systems, now very complicated and subtle systems, mind you, that I'm already 100% familiar with. And that, to me, wouldn't bother me so much as long as it presented you with new systems that now you also need to learn. So, great. Well, see, that's, that's what they're doing, right, which is nice. But the thing, like, even if they didn't do that, like, because I'm playing it in a different way now, it actually allows me to have that latitude in how to choose to play the game because I am already familiar with the game. So it's actually a plus for me either way. I'll have to take your word for it. The, that game sounds so uninteresting to begin with. I don't know. Um, anyway, we've got one more section left, one more segment of uh, Aura on the Phone. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
find him. for our final segment. Ari, are you still with us? You still alive? Still, still hanging in there. All right. Well, we have lost the limb over the break, but I hope you'll be better next but. week. I, I hope. I don't. I mean, maybe you won't even be be in the show next week. You might you might miss it out completely. But uh, it's just but a flesh wound. Okay. So uh, I'll remind everyone once again to go to uat.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, and uh, also, once again, to listen to the show live, because then you can call in live and chat with us. Uh, we did get an email this week that I uh, didn't really touch on. It was a, it was a bit weird. Um, didn't, uh, I didn't want to read it. I'll, maybe I'll find it in a minute. Um, Is this the psychopath again? No, it was no, just... I'm the psychopath. That's right. It just said a bunch of things that, that didn't seem correct. I don't know. Oh, let me. He seems to think that you were involved with the development of Super Meat Boy. That is definitely incorrect. Yeah, I I'm... know some of the people involved. I respect the people involved, but I am not the people involved. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. He's like, yeah, I was playing all the hard levels, and I thought these must be the. When I get to a particularly hard level, it must have been Aura that made it. I was like, no, no, definitely not. None of the levels. I, uh, I did make some levels for the game Night Sky. Yeah, totally different. Not totally not Super Meat Boy. Um, anyway, so there there were a couple things in there that whatever. He also wanted us to talk about the Microsoft being a little bit heavy-handed in their um, their licensing rules lately, which actually may be a, a worthwhile topic. But um, one thing he said about it was was strange. He, he let me actually read this. A uh, topic I read recently was that Microsoft was prohibiting developers from including any content that exceeded the nine gigabyte space in their games, therefore forcing developers to not release it on the PS3 as exclusive. Basically, Microsoft okay. saying, if they can't have it, no one can. But that's contrary, right? Like, if you can't release it on Microsoft, you can release it on PS3 exclusively. So, um, uh, You know what? I actually, I, I was confused for a second, but it looked like uh, I, was, I was looking at the same um, or, or a similar um, blog post that's been going around a couple days ago. Yeah, where, the, uh, yeah, it makes no sense. This originated, or, or at least from from my reference, it originated on. Um, there was uh, an interview that uh, Joystick was reporting on, where basically um, this fellow Rob Dyer, who's uh, SVP of Public Relations at Sony, said, um, "Oh, now I've, I've got it right here, man. You got it. Okay, you go for it." Um. Titles for Xbox 360 must ship at least simultaneously with other video game platforms and must have at least uh, feature and content parity on disc with the other video game platform versions in all regions where the title is available. These, if these conditions are not met, Microsoft reserves the right to not allow the content uh, for the 360. I think what they're yeah, saying I'll... is, like, you can't have a version that's better somewhere else. So they're not saying you can't release it exclusively on the PS3. They're saying you can't release it on the PS3 if you want to also have it on the Xbox 360 unless they're the same. They're not even making a statement that's quite that strong. All they're saying is, they, they might. That, if you do something we don't like, we might not let you publish our game, your game on our system. Yeah, exactly. And the the big dogs like the Which AAA's, is Square, anything. Square Enix, and other big people, they will get to do whatever they want. And it's the smaller publishers who still won't be able to, because Microsoft wants their money, right? 
right. of course they're going to let you release it. But um, yeah, if your if your product is important enough to them, like they're not going to beat you over the head with it. But if they think that they'll have a, a competitive advantage by doing so, then then they will. Which is that's just called doing business. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I I, I want to thank anyone who's willing to to write us and discuss things with us. It was just a Maybe the way he worded it was just uh, strange. So anyway, feel free to email us. Uh, email addresses are on the website. Um, the, I did want to talk about that whole Microsoft thing. Um, I don't think we need to get into it any more than we just just did. But um, you know, it's it's interesting that they're going to these measures because they didn't have to write that in at all, right? I, and I hadn't heard of anything like this prior to this story. Um, with you know, the, there's always been this concept of um, you know having exclusivity contract we say hey this game's only going to come out on the ps3 or only the xbox or whatever the system of the day is right um or that it's going to come out on this system one month in advance or this one's going to have this feature in it that is not available in this other one right which makes it more desirable and what microsoft's trying to do is level that playing field and you know like we don't want to be the one with the worst version we're not going to let that happen um and that you know eventually this is going to be built into every licensor's contract and it's i mean i want to make a statement that it's not good but i don't know that it matters like it also does it does mean that fewer people are going to be buying multiple systems they aren't going to be required to right because they'll be able to get what they want on their system regardless uh the the irony of what microsoft is stating is that they do because they're strong enough to be able to in their marketplace and sony doesn't have as much weight right now, and so they can't afford to throw their weight around like that. I mean, it's just natural supply and demand. Yeah, well, of course, the way Sony's swinging it is, you know, they're not, their system is inferior. We've got 25 or 50 gigs on our system, so clearly you can do more. And um, well, Right, sure, surely they'll frame it that way and not in a way that represents them as coming from a point of weakness. Yeah, but, it, but it, you know, if Microsoft... What's more interesting to me about this is that Microsoft is restricting things to the nine gigs of their disk, um, which uh, you know it's just weird. Oh, that, they, now that part I don't understand because nine gigs is like twelve oceans worth of content. It is a lot, but you know, not with high def stuff these days. You can they already had a multi disc game. I don't even remember what it was. Maybe a Final Fantasy game or something. But they they had a multi disc game for I'm uh, sure. The Xbox. One day it will feel like the six hundred forty k PC limit, but like, I mean, come on. This, I don't really think that 9 gigs is restricting anybody from doing anything meaningful. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess. I mean, we'll see. What about your, your famous Elder Scrolls game? You think that's going to fit? Yeah, that should fit. It fit before. <laughs> well, it, it never took up 9 gigs previously. Well, this is a new game. They're talking about how it's bigger and better than ever. Uh, I'm not saying that they couldn't make it easily 9 gigs if they tried. But, I mean... Come on, we've got to, uh, you know, even though memory's cheap, you do have to exercise some modicum of control here. All right. Well, along the lines of these things we've been talking about tonight, um, with, uh, you know, sequels not changing that much from one to the next, money being a big issue, uh, having to guarantee success before you produce, actually produce a game or or release a game. um, There's another thing, another thing that I read from, um, I guess, the head of Ninja Theory. Did you read this thing? Nope. All right, so uh, the headline from Joystick says, Ninja Theory head wary of AAA retail model, despite following it up, uh, def- excuse me, following it with DMC, um, which is Del- Devil May Cry. It's not DLC. It's actually, 
it's a point they're making in the article that I disagree with, um, or at least that I'm, I'm not so, uh, so in line with. But I guess he was, what this guy is saying is, um, that the whole AAA retail model is very limiting. Um, I'm trying to find the right, the right quote here. Um, well, it's, it's funny because lots of people have at least said that part of it, like five years ago, all the companies were like, oh, this monolithic AAA model is killing us because one in ten games are making money or whatever, and we're losing money. If you if you don't if you hit, you make all the money, and otherwise you don't you know you lose a ton of money. Yeah, so and the funny thing is, is that the industry was trying, or they said they were trying to go away from that, and then they still didn't make any money, and then they're like abandoning their plan B to go back to plan A because now they seem like they're like okay, we need to make the triple A hits now to make money. Yeah, well. I guess what he was saying in this, and the reason they made an article out of it, was that he, this guy, talks about how with uh, with their game, or you know, they're the people who've been contracted to make Devil May Cry, like the reboot. Um, right. You know, they're doing some amazing creative things, and then he goes on in the next breath to talk about how the AAA retail model is is just crushing innovation, and, and well, he didn't say innovation, but creativity. Um, so, in what way does it crush innovation? Though that's my question. Well, it didn't quite describe that very well. Uh, not in this particular article, because like I said, they were making a different point. But what he said is, it's crushing innovation and access to creative content. Um, and I, I think what he means by that is, you have to basically do what the suits say, build the game that's like the previous game, not not get to, to go on any limbs and make things different, which is what he's saying they're doing with this AAA Devil May Cry <laughs> game. Yeah, I, I suppose, regardless of whoever the suit is, if your game costs so much to make, then... I think that you are intrinsically creatively limited because you have to. You feel like you have to make a minimum amount of that game, and that starts to color your decisions. Uh, ironically, those decisions end up being sometimes worse for profit. Sometimes, but well, this is what I don't understand, though, because you you set off with the prospect of of producing this large uh, entertainment product, right? And the only way to I guess not the only way, but one really good way to be truly successful is to make something interesting and new. And they they keep banking on the safe, but what yeah. I imagine well, it would be... Think they, they want it to be, we know it'll make money, and it'll be new enough and old enough. But the crazy thing is, like, Valve is like, oh, we just do what's really interesting and new to us, and then we make lots of money. And the other companies are like... We're trying to make lots of money, and some of them do, and some of them don't at all. Yeah. Well, they've they've been successful at it, so I guess good for them. And everyone else needs to learn from them and stop just making the rehashes. But like, they you can rehash, yeah. make a couple, make three of them. But like, then maybe move on to something new. But anyway, we are at the end, end of the program. No matter what you do, no matter how you plan it, you never know how much money you're going to really make. Well, that's that's of course always true. Anyway, thank you everyone for listening. We will be back. At least I'll be back next week. Or, uh, I don't know. He could be, you know, dead. We'll continue to recline. But we will be, be back. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.